Okay, so if someone asked you honestly this morning, you don't have to say it out loud, but if someone asked you honestly, what kind of fashion statement were you trying to make when you got dressed this morning? Were you trying to make a fashion statement? Did you even know that you were making a fashion statement? You see, here's the, here's the reality. Whether you realize it or not, whether you want to or not, you are always making a fashion statement. You are. That's because we judge people kind of both consciously and subconsciously. We judge people based on the way that they're dressed. And in the same way, they judge us based on the way that we dress. Not, it's not necessarily judging in a judgmental kind of way. But by judge, I simply mean that we make assumptions about people based on their choice of clothing. There are assumptions that we make about them. You know the, uh, the idiom, the clothes make the man? Well, there, there's actually a lot of truth in that statement. Because the way that we dress tells the world something about who we are. Uh, our, our fashion always makes a statement because our clothes project to the world to hold up some type of image about ourselves. The way that we dress causes people to think about us in a certain way, and it causes people to assume a certain image about us. They can make assumptions about our lifestyle, our social status, our interests, and our identity. Now, look, it, it might be a false image, but it is an image nonetheless. People simply make assumptions about other people based on their fashion. We're always making fashion statements. Now, that's not always a bad thing, but it is a thing. You see, that's why uniforms actually serve a purpose in society. You see, if I'm walking down the street and I see someone dressed as a police officer, kind of wearing the, the dark blue outfits and, and a badge, holding a gun, I'm going to assume certain things about that person. I'm going to assume that that person has a certain type of training, that that person is trained to enforce the law, and I'm going to interact with that person in a certain way, and I'm going to assume that they're going to interact with me in a certain way. Now, if I'm in a hospital and somebody walks in wearing a long white coat and has a stethoscope, I'm going to assume certain things about that person. I'm going to assume that that person has a certain amount of training and a certain amount of ability, and they're going to interact with me in a certain way, and I'm going to interact with them in a certain way. Now think of this. If I'm in a hospital room and somebody walks in dressed as a police officer holding a needle and says, Mr. Spies, I need to take some blood, you better believe I'm going to ask some questions before I let them put a needle in my arm. Why? Because they're not dressed appropriately. They're not dressed the way that they should be. So you see, so, so whether we want to or not, we're always making a fashion statement. The way that we dress affects the way that others see us. 
and it affects the way that other people interact with us. Now trust me, if you're not convinced of this just yet, let me encourage you to, to, to put on uh, a clerical collar and walk into, well, pretty much anywhere. Believe me, people are going to interact with you in a certain way. They're going to interact with you differently. Now, before we open up our text this morning, there's one other important way that I need to point out about how clothes make the man. Not only does the way that we dress affect the way that others see us and interact with us, but it actually affects the way that we see ourselves. The way that we dress affects our own self-perception. There was this study that was done at Northwestern University in Chicago by one of the psychology professors. And the, what he did was he took about, he, he, uh, he took about 75 uh, uh, undergraduate students, split them up into two groups, and he gave them both similar tasks to do. So in one room, so they're both doing the same thing, but in one room he holds, he brings this long white coat, gives it to everybody, and says, here, while you're doing these tasks, put on this doctor's coat. To the next group, he takes the exact same white coat. He says, here, wear this painter's coat while you're doing these. Well, every single time he did this experiment, the people wearing the doctor's, who thought they were wearing a doctor's lab coat, always performed better. They always performed better. They would be quicker. They would be, uh, their, 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 uh, their abilities to analyze problems were better. They were paid a lot more attention to detail. So what he came up with in this and, and other experiments like it, he came up with a, a theory called enclosed cognition. Enclosed cognition that basically just says our clothes affect our cognitive processes. And our clothes make us, and our clothes basically put us in different psychological states. I don't know about you, but I was kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, if I'm wearing a really nice suit and I'm going out on the town, I'm going to hold myself differently, right? You know, it's, it's, our clothes tell us something about ourselves and make us feel something about ourselves. So, if this is actually a true phenomenon, if this is actually true, then is it, is it surprising that the Apostle Paul, when he, wants to, when he wants to encourage us and motivate us in Christian living, over and over and over again, uses a clothing metaphor? He do, he, one of his favorite metaphors is to tell us to take something off, like changing our clothes, take something off and put something on. The idea is that we're changing clothes. And he says this in Romans, in First and Second Corinthians, in Galatians, in Colossians, and we're going to look at the way he says it today in Ephesians. You see, Paul understands that, metaphorically speaking, what we put on actually affects our self-perception, and it affects the way that we interact with everybody around us. In, for Paul, Christians are always making a fashion statement if you will. But the image that we portray and that we project onto the wider world doesn't just say something about us, about ourselves personally. It says something about who God is. And for Paul, that's a much bigger concern. So if you have your scriptures with, with you today, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 4.17. We're going to continue on going through the book of Ephesians. 
And then I'll say this, after next week, we're going to enter into Palm Sunday, and the week after that will be, will be Easter. And then we're going to come back and we're, after Easter and look at kind of the second part of this argument that he's trying to make, this encouragement. So today we're going to look at the first part that, is in, that goes throughout the rest of chapter 4. Now, if you've been following along as we've been going through Ephesians, you know that Paul loves to repeat himself. He loves to repeat himself. He says something in one way, explains it a little bit, and then he comes back and he says the exact same thing in another way, explains it again, so on and so forth. So we're going to touch on a lot of themes today that we've already kind of covered, but I think it's important, and I think Paul understands that we need to hear these things again and again and again, because Paul wants to remind us of who we are, because who we are also says something about who God is. So in chapter 4, he starts off chapter 4, back in verse 1, and he says, he tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's how he starts off this whole section. And then he follows it with a long paragraph that we looked at over the last couple of weeks on, on, on encouraging us to live as, as one in faith, in unity, as the body of Christ. And that unity is one of the ways that we live out walking worthy of the, of the calling to which we've been calling. So now he's going to come back to kind of the same idea of walking. In verse 17, he says this, Now I say this, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Okay, let's stop there. Let's go back to this understanding of what Paul means by walk. The word for walk, in the way that he's using it here, simply means just the way that you conduct your way of life. It's your way of being in the world. It's your way of, of progressing through life, interacting with reality. It's how you walk. It's how you live. And Paul is telling the Ephesian church and us today that we must no longer walk or live a life and make our way in the world as the Gentiles do. Okay, so let's stop and let's think about, well, who are the Gentiles? Well, again, if you've been following along, Paul has been going to great lengths to explain that the mystery of God is that the Gentiles have been brought in to the covenant, that, that a new man has been made by, by bringing Jews and Gentiles together. And in that case, Gentiles simply mean those who are not Jewish. But Paul is now here talking, about, talking to a church in Ephesus in a Gentile city, a church that is made up probably a, a good number of Gentiles, if not mostly about Gentiles. And he's not saying you don't become, you all of a sudden become Jewish. He's kind of, what he's doing is he's actually kind of expanding the metaphor a little bit, basically saying the Gentiles are just anybody who are outside of the people of God. It's the unbelievers, in a sense. And he's saying you must no longer walk like that because you're not on the outside. You've been brought in. Okay, so we're not supposed to walk, we're not supposed to live our lives as those outside of the people of God. We got it. Well, how does the people of God, the people on the outside of the people of God, how do they walk? Paul says it like this. And Paul is not one to ever mince words. He says, the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Again, Paul's not mentioning words. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I'm, I was thinking, okay, Paul, but not every single person who is not a Christian lives this overly debauched life, right? Not everybody does this. Well, I don't think Paul is simply just talking about individual people. I think what Paul is doing is, is again, bringing us back to some fundamental truths about humanity, that apart from Christ, apart from God, apart from God working in your life, this is the human condition. This is the human condition. We are prone to walk futile and be callous and, 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 and all this. If you remember back in Romans 1, he uses the exact same language. Basically says the exact same thing when he talks about the fall of man and what humans have become in their inner being. In Romans 1, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give him thanks. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God gave them up to their, up, up to their lusts and to, and to all kinds of impurities because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then again in Ephesians 2, he says very similar about our condition, that we're dead in our transgressions and sin. And because of that, we are children of wrath by nature. That's the human condition apart from the work of God apart from God bringing us in. Now, I don't want to spend too much time, but he, he says a few things about this. He, he says that they're futile. I mean, what's, fut- what's futility? Futility, if you remember in, church, or in, in, in school, the, uh, reading the myth of Sisyphus, right? Sisyphus was, was this guy who's condemned for all of eternity to push a big boulder up to the top of a hill only to have it roll back down and do it over again. Right? He expends a lot of energy to get himself nowhere. That's one of the best pictures, I think, of futility. When we walk in the futility of our minds, we spend a whole lot of energy in our lives after things that are pointless, that are fruitless, that have absolutely no goals, that after we've spent all this energy, we're right back right where we are. That's futility. Another, another thing that he says about the Gentiles, are they, they're, they're darkened in their understanding. It's the idea of you're walking around with the lights out, just groping after something, trying to hold on to something for meaning or for purpose or trying to find some type of satisfaction or something only to just have it ripped away and then you're, and then you're left in this dark room without a guide not knowing where you're going. And he also says that they're callous. Now, if you work with your hands, if you're a builder, if you're a mechanic, you know what calluses are, Right? You know what calluses are. If you're a guitar player, you also know what calluses are. Right? We guitar players, we, we love our calluses. Because if you've ever picked up a guitar, you know that after even like 20 minutes or so of kind of pushing on these, these thin metal wires that we call strings, that your fingers are going to hurt. And the first time, they're probably even going to bleed. But after a while, they build up calluses on them. And you can kind of do your thing without, without any pain. Funny story, a long time ago when I was, I, was living in, I was living in Nashville and playing a lot of guitar, I went to the doctor and I had to get blood taken. And so, you know, they take that little, I guess it's called maybe EpiPen or what, whatever the pen is, you know, and she's like, hey, we got to take some blood. Okay, hand her my hand, takes the pen, puts it on my finger, goes, pow! I didn't feel anything. 
No blood came out. And because we're in Nashville, she goes, oh, you're a guitar player, right? So she takes my right hand, pow, oh, it stung, and it bled. I think that's a good picture of of what callousness is. You see, when you've built up calluses, you don't feel the world around you hurting you. No matter what happens to you, you don't feel it hurting you. When we do wrong things, if you will, and we know they're wrong, we feel it hurting. But after a while, we can build up calluses, and we no longer feel that pain that should tell our mind that, you know what, something's wrong. And so we start thinking, well, there's no pain in this. There's nothing wrong with this. It's callousness. It's the way the Gentiles walk. You see, callousness also also doesn't let the life that's inside come out. You can walk around, you can walk around and not feel the world around you and not want to interact with the world around you and think that life is simply about you. That's how we become selfish and greedy and again think that life is only about ourselves. But in this, Paul continues. He says, but but if, if you write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to take just a, write a little exclamation point in here because the emphasis is strong. Don't walk like the Gentiles and all this. But, he says, that's not the way that you learned Christ. That's not the way that you learned Christ. The word here is for learn is just the idea of, of increasing in knowledge and learning by practice. It's the idea of being trained. It's the idea of being trained in Christ you, Paul, so Paul says, look, you were, you were trained in Christ differently. What does that mean? He continues in verse 21. He says, you were taught in him as the truth was in him to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful, deceitful, deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true holiness and righteousness. Now, here's where the metaphor of clothing comes into play. Paul is saying that in our training, that our training in Christ is like taking off one set of clothes and putting on a completely different set of clothes. The old self and the new self. Now, your translation may something, say something like the old man. Um, the, the, I, the word there is human, and basically what he's just talking about is, is, is who we are in our essential being who we are as as a person. We were children of wrath, but that's not how you've been trained in Christ. You are something different. It's complete. It's as different. The old is, is as different from the new as death is to life. Going back to Ephesians 2. You were dead in your transgressions and sin, but now God has made you alive in Christ. So the old man or the old self is like this, this old set of clothes. They're corrupted they're dirty, they're threadbare, if you will. They, 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 they don't keep us warm. They don't, they don't function properly. They don't, they don't even keep us covered up, if you will, if you push the metaphor. The, the old set of clothes, if you wear them out, they're not going to make you want to walk around confident. In fact, they're going to make you feel shameful because what they do is they reveal that you've been digging around in the dirt. You've been walking around in the mud. 
in the sewers, if you will. They're old and they're dirty. They only inspire shame. And they make us think falsely about who we are when we put on this, these old ways of life, this old clothes, old clothes. But Paul, however, wants the church, the Ephesians, and us today, I believe, to see ourselves differently, to see ourselves truthfully about who we are. He says that in Christ you were trained to think about yourselves differently. You, have, you are to have a renewed mind that doesn't cause us to act in the world according to who we were, but according to who God in Christ has recreated us to be. We were taught to put on a new self. And I really don't think that there's a better way that Paul could have described it than taking off one set of clothes and putting on something completely different. The new self, he continues, is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I love that description. After the likeness of God. Now, where else in Scripture have you heard that? After the likeness of God. In Genesis. Genesis 1, 26, when God says, Let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. He continues on in verse 27. He says, he says, so God made humankind in his image, and in his image he created them male and female. So what Paul is trying to show us is that this new set of clothes that he's metaphorically telling us to put on is really the set of clothes that we should have been wearing all along. In Christ, he's also saying that this image of God is being restored. That that we have a new image, that we have a res- the image of God that is in us that has been marred has now been restored. The old set of clothes that were corrupted in Adam are renewed in Christ. If you remember in verse, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, if any man is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Now let's go back again. Stay here in Genesis for just a second. Genesis 1. What is this image of God? Well, if you've ever seen a picture of, say, a Greek temple, then you know that they are these huge, impressive buildings. They're beautiful. But inside the building is a large statue representing the god or the goddess that that temple is dedicated to. I don't know if you've ever been to Nashville, Tennessee, but if you do, you go right through downtown, and there's Centennial Park, and they've got a a full-scale replica of the Parthenon. Laura and I used to go on dates there. And it's a beautiful building. And you walk in, and it kind of takes you back 2,500 years. But right in the center is this huge golden statue to the goddess of Athena. It's big, and it's impressive, and it's kind of imposing. Well, the, the scholar, the, the Bible scholar N.T. Wright, he says that if we actually read the, the Genesis narrative properly, then what you're seeing is that God is actually creating for himself a temple. The, the, the earth is its foundations. The, the heavens are all the, is the ceiling, and all the living things in it are the, the, the jewels and the adornment. And right in the center, what does he set? He sets his image. Who's the image? Humankind. You see, humans actually have a purpose. The purpose is to be the representation of God to the world. Our existence isn't futile. Our existence actually has a purpose. 
And what, what Paul is saying is that now when we've put on Christ, when we've put on this, old, this new way of life, that that image that was marred in the fall has now been restored, is now being restored. So church, you are the restored image of God. You have a purpose. You are not walking around blinded. Your purpose is to represent God to the world. This fashion statement that you're making to the world is about who God is. We are God's representatives. Now, if you go on a business trip or if you go into a meeting and your, your boss says, you go represent the company, you're going to conduct yourself in a very professional manner. Right? I would hope so. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's the way that, that you conduct yourself has direct bearing on how people view your company. Might even how they view your boss. And Paul is saying that so much more, that's, the, that's our purpose in life, is to represent God to the world. The reason why Paul says this here is because Paul is about to give us a huge list of do's and don'ts. We're not going to spend a lot of time in them this morning, but Paul's going to give us a huge list of do's and don'ts, right? And it's very, very easy for us to, to look at these lists of do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that and just think, oh, these are this is just more laws. That these are just more things that we have to do in order to become worthy for God or to, to, to do things. And Paul goes to great lengths to say, no, it's encouragement how to walk and how to live based on who you are. Don't forget that Paul just spent, spilled a lot of ink, three chapters worth, trying to remind us of who we are in Christ, right? He, he spends three chapters telling us that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm of reality, that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that that Jesus' blood has redeemed us and forgiven us, that though we were sinners, or though that we were strangers and aliens, that through Christ's reconciliation that he did on the cross, we are now brought in and adopted as children. That's who we are. And so what he's about to give us is not just a list of do's and don'ts. He's going to encourage us. He's going to encourage us how to live according to this, the, these new sets of clothes that we've put on. Because how we live in this new set of clothes, again, represents God to the world. Don't read Paul's commands as just a new set of laws. Read Paul's commands in, the, in, the, 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 this, chapter, in this next paragraph here as a list of, of who Christians are. Of who Christians are. You see, Gentiles those outside of the body of Christ, they're people who actually speak lies to each other. They're, the kind of pe- they're just the kind of people that speak lies to each other. But God's people speak truthfully to each other because that's who we are. We are just people who speak truthfully to each other. Gentiles let their anger get the best of them, which then turns into malice and rage. God's people, however, are people who actually... Paul is saying, deal with their anger in a very timely manner. They deal with their anger in a way that it doesn't cause them to sin. He says, before the sun goes down, the idea is just, you deal with it. You don't let it fester. You deal with it in a timely manner. Because that's who you are. You don't let it get the best of you. 
God's people, or Gentiles, are people who steal. Gentiles are people who steal from each other. God's people are people who work not so that they can just hoard possessions and build bigger houses and, and build bigger storage sheds to put them in, but so that, so that we can give away what we have when we see someone in need because God's people are not people who are callous, or who are callous to the needs of the world. And we're able to let the life that we have out for the sake of the world. Moreover, God's people remember that they're people who have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm of reality. There are also people who remember that not even Solomon was clothed, clothed as beautiful as the lilies of the field. And you're children of God, so how much more beautifully is God going to clothe you? Gentiles are people who tear, everybody, who tear each other down. God's people, even in election season, especially in election season, are people who build each other up who speak truth to each other. They're kind, tender-hearted. They forgive one another. As God, he's, in, in verse 32, he says, they are kind, excuse me, they're kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. You see, God's people are people who reflect God to the world and reflect what God has done for us. God forgave us even before we asked God's forgiveness of us wasn't based on the fact that we asked him for it. It was when we were dead and we couldn't ask him for it that he forgave us. It was when he was on the cross and people were hurling insults on him that Christ said, Father, forgive them for they know what they do. And we're called to imitate that. In fact, the way that, the way that, that Paul is going gonna, is gonna to say it, he's going to wrap up this chapter, is he's going to say, He's going to say, be imitators of God over, in, over in, in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God and walk in love. Don't walk as the Gentiles do, but you walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering. We're told not to walk as the Gentiles do because that is not loving. We're to walk in love, imitating God. And the way that we live our lives, our lives together, especially among those who are outsiders, the way that we live our lives together, and this is one of the things that I am actually so grateful for this particular church because we live our lives together to sh in such a way that actually shows the outside world what it means to love one another. We do. Because we're people who have taken off the old ways of life, the old self, and put on a new self. Let me end with this illustration. Because putting on the old self is always going to be a temptation for us. And I'm going to ask your forgiveness for using a Denver Broncos illustration. <laughs> but if you remember back right before the Super Bowl, um, the Denver Broncos, and, and uh, it's, it's customary to, to, for the the Super Bowl teams to send everybody in the organization to the Super Bowl. And the Denver Broncos did this. I think the Panthers did, but we're talking about the Broncos at the moment. Sorry. Well, I don't know if you know the name. Maybe you saw this on, on, on the headlines. It was kind of all over the news. But there's a guy on the practice squad of the Denver Broncos whose name is Jordan Taylor. He's the guy whose sole job 
is to help Peyton Manning, or was to help Peyton, Peyton Manning work on his throws. His sole job was to just run down the practice field and catch the ball. Well, because he was on the practice squad, he was going to be sent to the Super Bowl with everybody else. Protocol for traveling is that you look nice. You wear suits. Well, this guy Jordan Taylor realized, he's like, I don't have a suit appropriate enough for the, for the trip. And so he's like, okay, look, I, you know, he, he's, so he calls, up, he calls up Peyton Manning and he says, look, and, you know, I know we're about the same, uh, same build. Any chance you've just got an extra suit that I could borrow? And Peyton Manning, at least the way the, the news says, says, you know, says, you know, I'll, you know I'll, I'll take care of it for you. You know, I'll hook you up or something like that. Well, what he does was he sends his own personal tailor to Jordan Taylor's house. The guy takes his, takes his measurements and eventually comes back with a custom-made suit paid for by Peyton Manning himself. So instead of letting him borrow a suit, he just he buys him one. And it was a nice suit. It was, I saw the picture of it. It was a nice suit. He looked good. He felt proud about himself. It said something about him. It said something about Peyton Manning, how generous he was, so on and so forth. Now, just bear with me here. Okay, now what if Jordan Taylor had gotten this really nice custom-made suit paid for by none other than Peyton Manning? The day that they're supposed to leave for California, he's putting on a suit and he's looking in the mirror and he says, man, this looks good. And he goes, but you know what? You know, that, that, you know, that, old, that old suit, I actually really kind of liked it. You know, you know that, that shirt, you know, I really liked that shirt. Um, I, I know it doesn't look as good, but I really liked it. And it's, it's, I haven't washed it. it you know, it's kind of torn now. Probably smells. But, but I really like that shirt. I, I'm just going to, what's it going to hurt? I'm just going to put that one. I, I can't take off this suit because Peyton Manning bought it for me. But I'm just going to put this on over it. You know, I'm going to wear that. Again, just bear with me. And what if he said, but you know what? Those old pants, they don't fit right. They're not appropriate. They're kind of torn. But I liked them. I really liked those old, really liked that old suit. I'm just, I'm just going to put those on over this new suit. You know, what's it going to hurt? You know, and then he shows up on the plane ready to go and says, hey, guys, look what Peyton Manning got for me. Okay, it's going to look weird, right? It's going to look weird. And I don't know about you, and people might say, really, Peyton got you that? That's what, really? Like, really? Okay. Okay, it's silly. I understand. It's, people don't do that. However, I'm convinced that Christians do that way too often. We do it way too often. That we start looking at ourselves forget who we are in the Lord. We've got this new set of clothes on, this new image of God. And, but there's times when we're, when we're like, you know this old set of clothes? Yeah, they're dirty. I haven't washed them in a while. They're torn up. Man, I really like that old shirt. I just really like that old shirt. I'm just going gonna, gonna to put it on for a minute. I mean, what, what's it going to matter? No, you know, it's, you know, it, no one's going to no care. You know, and, you know, what about, you know, what about that old, you know, those, those old cutoff shorts, you know, or whatever. You know, th- those old jeans, they're falling apart. 
I'm gonna put, I just want to put those on. You know, it's not going to matter, right? Too often we do that. And then we go around and we think that nobody sees us. Or we're trying to put on these old set of clothes in such a way that maybe people don't even see who we actually really are. But see, here's the deal. Like this image of God, when we become Christians, we can't take it off. We can't take it off. And so when we try to live in these old manners of life, what does it say to the outside world? Really, that's who your God is? Really, that's the best he can do? Now, friends, we're at the end of Lent, close to the end of Lent. This is the last Sunday. Next Sunday is, is Palm Sunday, and we're going to enter into Holy Week. Even if externally we might be living our lives together in such a way that really reflects, what about when we're not together? What about those times in our lives, and I know we all do it. I do it. I know we do it. Where we kind of want to put on some of those old clothes. And we want to rock around saying we're Christians. Friends, this is the end of Lent. And now is as best time as any to take off some of those old clothes and not to put them back on. I don't have a lot of practical application for this other than to remind you who you are in the Lord, and to call you that in the rest of the season of Lent, if there are things in your life that you need to confess, that you need to take off, let's, let's, let's deal with it now. Let's deal with it now. Confess your sins to the Lord, because He is faithful and just to forgive us. If you need Randy or I to, to walk with you through it, let's do it. And, let's, and let's, let's take off these old clothes, and let's walk worthy of a manner that is called, worthy of the manner to which we've been called, not walking as those who are on the outside. Because, friends, we're always making a fashion statement. We're always making a fashion statement. So I would just encourage you to ask, what kind of statement am I making? What image am I really projecting to the world? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.